chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Please follow along as I read. And when we're done, we'll remain standing for prayer. Romans chapter 14, beginning of verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, let every knee, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to worship you today and and bring glory and honor to you. And thank you for those that have come uh, to be here physically. Thank you for those that are joining us online. Even in the future, Father, we're grateful that folks can benefit from the the word, your word, that is there for them when, when they're wanting to hear it. We just ask you to bless the prosperity of your word, the preaching of your word. And Father, help us today to bring glory and honor to you. And help us, Father, give us a burden for the lost. Give us discernment in these evil days uh, of what to be aware of. And Lord, we just commit this time to you and ask for your blessing on the scriptures. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mac Lynch. Actually, when I was singing, I was imagining that Mac Lynch's voice came out of my mouth. I don't think it quite sounded that good, but (laughs) you can pretend, can't you? (laughs) All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14, please. Romans chapter 14. Uh, We took a a break for a couple weeks. Uh, Palm Sunday, two weeks ago. Resurrection, Easter Sunday last week, but uh, we were in the middle, or actually towards the end of a series, continuing our theme uh, that we began in January of this year, uh, dealing with people. This year, I want you to just think about people, uh, not just think about them, our goal is to reach them uh, with the gospel, and so there's been various topics all connected to 
to the idea of people. And this part of the series uh, began, as I've shared probably twice at least, uh, with a conversation I had years ago uh, with my father-in-law as he began involved in the church. That said, Tom Quits, for those of you who don't know, by the way, thank you for praying for my mother-in-law, Joanne. She really needs your prayers right now. They both do. Uh, this is a, She's just struggling physically, weaker every day. Uh, she misses, every time we would see her, she, she misses you all. And um, some of you may not even know who she is because she's been out, I guess, since the quarantine. Uh, but please, we'd appreciate you praying for Joanne. So my, my father-in-law, Ed Tomkowitz, made an observation one time as he, you know, none of us grew up Baptist. So just the whole experience of being um, in, in this kind of a church, dealing with these kind of people... <laughs> It was different. And he made the, the comment to me one day, he, he was expressing amazement that that I could pastor when it seemed that pastoring to him, I guess at the time, was just people coming up to me with their problems. He said, I don't know how you could do it. And I thought about that, and I thought, I guess, I'd never really, it's not like I was like, oh, yes, people and their problems, what are we going to do? You know, I, I I stood back and I thought, well, you're right, it is true that, you know, people come to me with their problems. And so that just kind of set in me, and over the, over the years I've, I've thought on that, and I've solidified these thoughts in my mind. When it comes to ministry, there are people's problems, which was what he was talking about. And we have seen a plethora of people's problems over the last three decades. I mean, people have some doozies, don't we? <laughs> you know, we have some doozies. Uh, and we have seen just everything imaginable. Uh, even in prison ministry, of course, that gave us a, a, a bigger aspect of different things. And, and yet that never really, you know, God's grace is sufficient. We're all going through this life. We're all dealing with problems. And we're going to have problems until the day we go to heaven. And that never really weighed on me. So that's people's problems. Then the second one, which can be a little more of a challenge in ministry, and that is people problems. Now, understand the difference. People's problems, oh no, I've got this issue. And then there's people problems, where, you know, within the body of Christ, you got Sister Susie mad with Brother Tim. I'm pretty sure we don't have those two people named here. Uh, and, and, you know, the Bible addresses that. And, and that can be complicated. Uh, some people are not willing to forgive. Some people get so hurt. Uh, some people stop coming to church because they had a problem with Brother Tim or Sister Susie. And so they're like, I'm not coming here anymore. And, you know, it's, and that you have that. But as a pastor... That's not a big deal as much. It's this third category that I have determined is the biggest challenge. It's not people's problems. It's not people problems. It's problem people. Now, thankfully, uh, over the last 30 years, there have not been a lot of people, a problem people. But we want to talk about that. And we're going to continue with where I left off before the, you know, before Easter holiday um, we want to talk about that 
because the Bible addresses a lot of it. And you and I need to understand that there are going to be people in your life that are going to be a challenge to you. We all have them. They're going to be a challenge to you. And what's important is, first of all, being aware of it, and then responding properly. And my goal is to finish this up today. Uh, we started with problem people two, three weeks ago. In fact, this is really following up on a message that I preached back in uh, February of 2019 called Manipulative People. That's part one. Uh, on April 3rd, that's when I dealt with problem people. That would be like part two of this series. And then today will be part three. So we have manipulative people, problem people. And then today we're going to go with the, the term that I coined for them. or I didn't coin it, but the term we used last time, toxic people. And so there are toxic people uh, in your life. And you and I need to be wise as serpents. And harmless as doves. So we can't bury our head in the sand and act like these people are not around. And if you and I are not careful, uh, we, we can be manipulated by people that, that are not really glorifying God. So today's message is toxic people. It really is part two of problem people. It's really part three of you know dealing with this whole thing. And we are going to look at Romans uh, chapter 14. Um, but I want to remind you that when we talk about problem people, not all, tri- there's a verse I quoted, Proverbs 25, 19. I'll quote it in a minute. I'll quote it now. Confidence in an unfaithful man, uh, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Problem people Just because somebody is untrustworthy, just because somebody really, in fact, might have the potential to be a toxic person, does not mean that they have to become a problem. Um, In fact, when you look at that verse, Proverbs 25, 19, they only become problem people when you and I put our trust in them. Or we depend on them. Sometimes family members, a particular family member can become a toxic person. Those are harder people to avoid, aren't they? Because they're in your family, you know. And, and those are some of the cha- most challenging. Uh, but again, not all businesses, not all churches. Uh, they can have people that have the potential to be a problem, but they're not a problem because you're not depending on them for anything. They come to church they listen, they send under the word, they go home. Um, you don't know them enough. That's why I love that quote from George Washington about you know, choosing friends and, and limiting that. In fact, the more I thought on that quote from him, the more I realized that that doesn't just apply to choosing friends, but it really is a broader statement about trust. Here's what he said again. He talked about choosing, you know, not choosing a lot of friends. He said, let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. So we need to be very hesitant. We need to be very reluctant. And we need to wait. You can take someone into your confidence too soon before their character has been revealed. And then he said this, 
true friendship. And I'll replace that with, with trust. Trust is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity before it is entitled to the appellation. In other words, you and I have to be very careful about who we trust. And it's when we trust the wrong people who end up... In fact, let's look at the word toxic, whereas we're talking about toxic people. The word toxic comes from the uh, Latin, and it was the term that spoke about the poison that they would put on the arrow. You know, bow and arrows, and, and it would be a weapon. And that word, uh, I have the Latin word somewhere, but uh, a toxin, it's poisonous. And that came into our language, and there are people in the Scriptures that could be harmful to you if you are not aware of them. In fact, Jesus, Jesus warned us. He said, beware of wolves which come in sheep's clothing. There are people that you and I need to mark. Paul said that in Romans 16. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned or received and avoid them. Paul told uh, in um, Titus chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul told Titus, an heretic after the first and second admonition, what do you do? Reject. Reject? We're supposed to reject people? That doesn't sound very Christian. Well, you know what? If it's in the New Testament and you're properly interpreting the verse, it's Christian. <laughs> it is. It's Christian. And sometimes you and I, again, the, the idea very clearly is there are going to be people that have a toxic, poisonous effect on relationships. And that's where you and I have to mark them. That's where you and I have to discern and step away from people. Again, what does the term the terms the Bible use? Avoid, withdraw. That's biblical. For your own sanity. So, manipulative, toxic people. The Bible's filled with examples of toxic people. I thought of a few. Just I thought about Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? Remember Naboth's vineyard? Ahab wanted a vineyard. He wanted he coveted Ahab's vineyard. And uh, of course, Ahab was the king, and so he went with his great power of being a king, and he tried to get Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth said, this, by the way, paraphrase, please. Uh, he said, you know what? This has been in the family for so long. I am not giving this up for any amount of money. And so Naboth went home and had a hissy fit, threw himself on the bed, and there's a Patsy Pirate song that I love. Um, and what's it called? Anyone know the Patsy Pirate song about Haman? The poochy lip disease, yes. How could I forget that? Um, and, and that's what he did. And then came his wife, Jezebel, the manipulative one that said, I will get you what you want with no regard to other people's boundaries or other people's person, just totally violated every boundary possible to get what she wanted. And there's going to be people like that. How about Haman? Remember Haman in the book of Esther? The king Ahasuerus promoted him. 
And Haman, in fact, if um, in that text, in Esther chapter 3 and 4, you know, what a manipulative person. He was working his wiles to try to get what he wanted at the cost and the expense of many around him, including the, the entire Jewish nation. Thankfully, God intervened and turned his counsel to naught. How about Judas? Judas, the ultimate deceiver and manipulative person. Many years ago, I, I read a couple books that came out. I forgot the name of the books, but there was a very intensive study done on marriage. It was by sociologists. I don't believe it was not from a Christian perspective, uh, but it was a very thorough study on hundreds of couples over the course of their marriage. Some ended the divorce, some didn't. And then they, they learned from major intensive study that there were certain common denominators that characterized those relationships that ended up breaking up. And then there were other character qualities, their characteristics that were common denominators in the marriages that succeeded. And then they came out with this book. And I used that as a, a foundation. I sifted it through the scriptures. And I used it when I, was, I did a series on communication. And I, I referred to that a lot. Because there's a lot we can learn when people study human behavior. And that is also true when it comes to toxic people. In fact, I marveled uh, at how thorough the, um, the study has been done on toxic people. And they have all kinds of words and terms, uh, tools of manipulation. In fact, if you just Google or, or Good Search or whatever, um, you know, manipulative people or techni- techniques of manipulative people, um, you'll find all kinds of things. And let me, in fact, I did that. And, and in fact, I'm only going to look at two of them today. There's so many. Uh, but we're going to look at two of the techniques that sociologists have coined because these are such common practices in people that are manipulative that you and I would do well to be aware of it. The two that I'm going to talk about today, the first one is one, I remember when I first heard this, I'll tell you in a minute about uh, It's called love bombing. You ever heard of love bombing? Love, oh no, what's love bombing? And then secondly is gaslighting. You ever heard of gaslighting? first found this out from my daughters and and then i apparently in fact of all the lists this is the one that just keeps coming over and over and over again and actually the word gaslighting comes from a play that came out in 1938 that that really portrayed this particular character quality of manipulative people and so it kind of became they coined it you ever been gaslighted before you probably have and didn't even realize here's a couple other ones i'm not gonna uh there is projection Moving the goalposts, name calling, smear campaigns, triangulation, guilt tripping, lying, flattery, weaponized incompetence, and the list goes on. Tools that manipulative people will use. But as we approach this, it's important that first, well, let's talk about, let me mention this love bombing one. Remember a couple years ago? I was doing some study on cults and uh, watching some documentaries about different cults, people that use the Bible to manipulate others. In fact, uh, usually I think it, it all began 
watching one documentary that ended up being a, a, a crime. Uh, this this man that got people into their confidence. And, and they made this statement. They talked about, and they, they worded it this way. This cult used a tactic that many cults use. And it's love bombing. And then they gave an example that when the, when the people would come and visit their church, everybody would be real friendly to them. And that was the only thing they said. And I remember, I remember hearing that and saying, wait a minute. So if somebody comes to our church and we show them love, we are love bombing? We're now a cult? I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't that what churches are supposed to do? Is show love? And I remember that's, that's all. I, I'm like, okay, from now on, whenever a visitor comes, shun them. In fact, look, give them mean, nasty looks. What are you doing here? And that way we'll never be accused of love bombing. It's, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get it. And then finally, as I studied more about it, here's, here's what love bombing is, okay? So still be friendly to people, okay, please. But here's what love bombing is. It is a practice of showing a person excessive affection and attention as a way of manipulating them in a relationship. Ah. Now that the Bible talks about. We are so out of balance here. We got most of our people over here, and I'm ignoring Mr. Kerr and Mimbetta. So I'm going to have to just and my, my son too. I'm going to have to look at you three. Um, but so what is love? Bom- it, it, the Bible talks about it. Listen to this. Proverbs 29.5 is love bombing. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. What is flattery? Flattery isn't, you know, well, you just be kind one to another. No, that's, that's a command to be kind to one another. Flattery is when you are so excessively kind because you want something out of someone. That's the idea. And a flattering, uh, he that flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. How do you know who flatters you? Be careful of how vulnerable you and I are when people compliment us. I did not say... Reject all compliments. Hey, you look nice today. What are you trying to get out of me? You know, is that what you're going to do? No. But when somebody is overly complimentary, there may be a hidden motive. In fact, you may remember we talked recently in this series about Proverbs 26. The one who dissembleth with his mouth. It tells us that's a person who has hatred in his heart. But he covers, he dissembles with his mouth. In other words, he covers the hatred with fair words. And so that's why verse 25 says, When this person speaks fair, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. What, are we supposed to be like cynical of any positive thing? No. See, people establish themselves. That's why it's important that we mark them. That's why it's important that you, you need to know who the toxic people are in your life so that you can set up the proper boundaries. Here's another one. Ahithophel. You remember that name? By the way, all these names I mentioned, Judas, uh, Haman, 
Jezebel, Ahithophel, they're all people that were in positions of trust and leadership, which is what made them so toxic. Ahithophel was a trusted... Remember George Washington quote about trust and friendship? Ahithophel was a trusted counselor of David. And that's why, to David, he was a toxic person. In fact, if you want to read about his shenanigans... By the way, is that a word? Okay, good, good. Second uh, Samuel chapter 15. You see his manipulation and how he's conspiring. Uh, but it was all behind David's back. And here's what, here's what David said. Most commentators believe he was talking about Ahithophel in Psalm 55 and verse 12 and following. Listen to what David said about this person that ended up being a toxic person in his life. He said, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. You know, just because, just because someone has destructive qualities doesn't make them toxic to you. You know, if, if, if he knew that Ahithophel really was, should not be a friend and he didn't trust him, Ahithophel would have meant nothing to him. But, and so he said, it wasn't an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. This was not an overtly hostile person to him. In fact, he says, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, my acquaintance. He trusted someone that he shouldn't have. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. And then he said in verse 21 of Proverbs or Psalm 55, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. Remember Proverbs? When he speaketh fair, believe him not. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. That's a toxic person. That's a toxic person. I shared this story before, but... Indulge me if you would. Years ago, when I passed it in Lancaster, my wife and I were visiting the Park City Mall. Went into a shoe factory, a shoe, shoe store. I was trying on shoes. And the, the salesman that was waiting on me found out that I was a pastor and then gave me his whole life story and every problem he's ever had. Um, but we had the opportunity to begin a relationship with this man. And he really was a blessing to me. And I'd go visit him. I think he was already saved he might have got, I forget the details of that, but as I would go and disciple him and visit him at his house, I'll never forget one time, he just really seemed bothered when I met him. And it came out that one of his neighbors found out that a Baptist pastor was visiting him. And he said this to, to this man, almost said his name. He said, Watch out for those Baptist pastors. He said, all they want, they just want, they just want you to come to their church so you can count them, they can count you on the attendance, and they just want your money. And, and, you know, here's this man, maybe like me, he didn't really have much connection with Baptists or Protestants, you know, he didn't, he didn't know. And this really disturbed him. And I could tell when I went to visit him, 
he was really bothered. It was I didn't see the warm affection that I had seen up to that time when I went to visit him. And then he told me. But when he told me, he was so rattled that he looked at me and he's like, is that true? <laughs> no, I did not do that. No, well, you know what? I said, absolutely not, you know. But, but I'll never forget that because I've, always, I've never forgotten it and I've always kept in mind that, you know what? I have to constantly examine my own motives when it comes to ministering to people. And I, I, so from that moment on, I, I do a continual self-check. Why am I doing this? Are my motives just so someone will come to church? Are my motives? And, and so that became my mode. But it never dawned on me, until I met Leo D'Archangelo, it never dawned on me that just like the this man's of the world need to keep an eye out on the teacher, so I need to realize that not everybody approaches pastors or churches with pure motives. And I only learned that from doing prison ministry with Leo D'Archangelo, who was, was on staff at Bible Baptist. And Leo uh, was a convict. He had been arrested a million times, it seemed. And um, when he was younger, he got saved. He was a heroin addict. What a dramatic testimony. And, um, and he's the one that invited me first to go to Chester County Prison, do prison ministry. And that's where he, he taught me that not everybody can be trusted. And I guess because, you know, they say it takes a, takes a convict. No, it takes a... Whatever, he knew. And he could spot him a mile away. And so we'd have guys come in. You know, he, I would do the, I'd come in, he'd come with me, he'd meet with a couple of the inmates, and I'd preach to them. And there'd be so many guys, and I'm like, that guy is awesome. And Leo would, would come to me and say, don't trust him for anything. You know, he had the ability to do that. And I've always said ever since that time, I wish I could have a little, uh, you know, a, a Leo D'Archangelo to pull out of my pocket, a Leo D'Archangelo meter. You know, if there's someone that's coming to me, and I could just pull out Leo, and I love him. He's with the Lord now. Uh, and I just, you know, put him up to the person, and he'd go, he's okay. He's not okay. He has that ability, and I still need that. But the bottom line is, folks, there will be people that will take advantage of you. You have to be aware of that. You have to be discerning and realize that there will be toxic people in your life. So, Real quickly, I want you to take your Bibles now. If you're not there, I think you should be there. Romans chapter 14. I want to, if we have time today, I want to establish two biblical principles. They're really interconnected that have to deal with um, knowing where to draw the lines. And so we're going to talk about this thing called individual soul liberty. I want you to look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 4. I told you when I started this that I really wanted to finish it today. I may just I may have just changed my mind. You you all okay with that? We're not going to take a vote, okay? I'm just going to going to run with it. <laughs> all right. Romans 14 beginning in verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. 
One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. By the way, this is in the context of a a, a baby, a new church, the, the beginning of the church age, where you had two very opposite elements of society coming under one banner, Jew and Gentile. Totally different background, totally different culture, totally different everything. And now they were getting saved and coming into this one banner of the New Testament church. And it created problems. Especially for people that did not have boundaries. Especially for toxic people. And so Paul says in verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day. Like Now keep in mind, Paul's coming from the Jewish perspective. So he had a leaning towards the Jewish holidays, the Jewish customs. In fact, all the the disciples, the Jews, that was their leaning. In fact, even Peter got caught up in that. Let every one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So to the Jew, he was saying, back off of those Gentiles that don't embrace our dietary customs and our daily holidays and so forth. To the Gentiles, he was saying, take it easy on your Jewish brethren who have these things built into them so that, um, you know, please understand, they're going to deem certain days more important than others. But he was challenging them in this challenge in this idea of, of what's called individual soul liberty. Let every man be fully... Je- Jews, give the Gentiles some slack. Gentiles, give the Jews some slack. And, and I submit to you that this little nugget here, this teaching in Romans chapter 14, would end up separating a lot of believers down through the ages. Um, and a group of religious people would grow out of this based on other professing believers who violated this. And they became known as Anabaptists. They were people that were on the receiving end of persecution uh, because they came to believe some things that the congregational church, the, the, the state churches, uh, did not embrace. And so this whole doctrine of individual soul liberty became a very precious mark of what the people that would become Baptists. And folks, it, that played a huge part in our country and the First Amendment. If you understand anything about, uh, and you go back to the 1800s, Thomas Jefferson's quote in a letter about separation of church, the wall of separation that has been so twisted, came from a letter from the Danbury Baptist Association was appealing to Thomas Jefferson, and they had some correspondence, and Jefferson wrote about this wall of separation, which has been totally distorted. The Baptists just wanted to make sure that the government kept their hands off. 
It was individual soul liberty. And thankfully, we have a First Amendment because of our forebears who understood that there's, there's boundaries, there's jurisdiction, there's areas that are nobody else's business. And so listen to this quote from Dr. Robert Ketchum. Now he was, he was a Baptist from Pennsylvania. Um, in fact, I went, went, to, uh, Bible, went to Bible school with his son in the 80s. Gives you an idea. He has passed away, but he was a great you know, leader in Baptist circles in, in earlier days. And listen to what he said. He wrote a pamphlet for what was then the GRBC. And uh, in fact, the title, I don't, let me just read you what he said. This is so important. He said, there is no one which can in any wise interpose anything between a soul and its God. He was articulating very concisely this teaching. What does individual soul liberty mean? What's Paul after here in Romans chapter 14? And they had fought some battles. He said, there is no one which can in any way, any wise interpose anything between a soul and its God. The individual must be left absolutely free to make his own decisions concerning God and all matters of faith. That is a Baptist practice that's rooted in the Word of God. Let me read it again. The individual must be left absolutely free to make his own decisions concerning God and all matters of faith. He may be helped by advice and information to arrive at a decision, but once he has formed his conclusion, they are his. His conclusions may be exactly opposite to that which his advice and information would logically demand, but he has a right to them, right or wrong. And no man or combination of men on earth has any right to any right to force him to alter those conclusions that is individual soul liberty on our website we announce on the first page that we are a fundamental baptist church and long ago i realized that man that word fundamental more and more needs some clarification <laughs> you know people hear that and they got all kinds of ideas that go on in their mind and so I put a link to a, a blog called Sharper Iron where they give a really good definition of fundamentalist in its historical context. And in that little article, as it describes first what a fundamentalist is not, Christian fundamentalist, by the way, this statement is articulated very clearly. And it is that force has not has no role at all in anything we want to accomplish. That's a Baptist statement. It's actually a biblical statement. Force has no role at all in anything we want to accomplish. And by the way, there's some Baptists. I don't think they know that. You know, I don't think they know that. They they don't really practice that. But folks, that is a historically important point. That force, you know, individual soul liberty means that, again, I go back to, to what Ketchum said. The individual must be left absolutely free to make his own decisions concerning God in all matters of faith. Now, if you and I are not willing to let people grow and come up with their convictions, 
then you and I are not acting very much like Baptists. Or let me articulate that. We're not, we're not acting very much like biblical Christians. I'm going to hold on. You know, what is gaslighting? Well, we're going to talk about that next week, okay? It is, it's everywhere. All these lists that I came up with, and, uh, you know, there's articles that say 20 techniques of manipulative people. And then there's articles that say seven techniques. And so many of them all have gaslighting. And, and really, you, you, in fact, we're going to look at an example in the book of Galatians where, from what I understand of this technique... Uh, I think Paul dealt with this in the people that uh, he ministered to. And we'll look at a text in Galatians uh, next week. But here's the challenge as we wrap this up today. Please understand that, first of all, let's step back for a minute. In fact, let's close with this. Psalm 139, David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be some wicked way in me. Do you ever pray that? I love that. Uh, in fact, we sing the song, Search me, O God. I mean, it's a great challenge. You and I need to maintain a continued vigilance of self-examination. That's being teachable. And when you, when you find out the heart of what gaslighting is, the primary thing with someone who's manipulative and uses this technique is they do not have the ability to examine themselves. And you try to appeal to these people, you try to challenge them, and they immediately dismiss it. In fact, the whole idea of gaslighting is they have a way of turning it on, on end and making you think you're the one that's you know, messed up. So the challenge is, you and I, first thing we should do on this message, and look at the next, next week, we want to make sure that we are not those toxic people. And, uh, and I am always mindful, especially as a pastor. Um, in fact, I look back and I, I know that I've had some tendencies that I look and I'm, I'm realizing, wow, that was not very Baptist of me. I'm, not that the issue is being Baptist, it's not very biblical of me, you know. Uh, but it's so important that you and I understand the autonomy of the individual. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And, in fact, when we look at the wording, which we really haven't jumped in here, um, look at verse 3 of Romans 14. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received them. And see, that's what the problem for both groups is we tend to reject someone that isn't in, in, on our side in this, in whatever the issue is. And this is an amazing thing. This was going on in the first century, and it still goes on. We separate ourselves sometimes for things that God does not separate. Again, look, God hath received him. Could you and I possibly be rejecting people that God has received? Could you and I possibly be manipulative so that we are taking away 
someone's liberty of conscience. We'll pick up with it next week. You have to come next week. Or you will not know what gaslighting is. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Father, please, to examine our own hearts. Help us not to be toxic people. And, uh, Father, help us, in the name of religion, to not use religion uh, to try to manipulate people. Help us, Father, to, to plead, warn, entreat, but also, Father, to realize that every, uh, all, each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Help us, Father. Help us to grow. Help us to learn. Help us not to be problem people. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all.